Well, it's that time of the week again. It's time for Chit Chat Across the Pond. This is episode number 628 for March 6, 2020. Happy birthday to my father-in-law, who is 85 today. And I'm your host, Allison Sheridan. This week, our guest is Barb Bouchatz with an installment of something he's calling Programming by Stealth Adjacent. It's not part of the regular series of programming by Stealth, and yet it's not technically very light in terms of the chit-chatting. So since neither podcast is the right place, I've decided to put it in both to be wrong twice. How's that sound, Bart? Sounds good to me. And uh, (laughs) happy birthday, father-in-law. Yeah, Ken is, uh, he outlived his own father by 30 years, so he's pretty happy about that. Oh, this is Ken of 1Password fame. Yes, yes, the famous Ken of 1Password. It's been five years since he did his testimonial. That was such a good episode. I hope he's listening. Ken, great episode. And I think you've helped a lot of people. All right. I'll uh, I'll make him listen to the beginning of this. But so what is programming by stealth adjacent? What are we doing today? Well, we're, okay, so we've been learning a lot of JavaScript, right? I mean, programming by stealth is more about the principles and about specific languages, but our 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 first true programming language has been JavaScript. And so to some extent, for now, the two have become quite synonymous with each other in our heads. And one of the reasons I picked JavaScript was, A, because you can sneak up on programming because JavaScript is the language of the internet, and therefore you can start off with HTML, which isn't programming, and then you move on to CSS, which isn't really programming either, but it's getting a little bit closer, especially with some of the more modern stuff. And then we land on JavaScript, and now we're we're programming, and we've snuck up on it by making pretty things. (laughs) But the other reason... I picked JavaScript, apart from that ab- that ability to sneak up on it, was because JavaScript is everywhere these days. It has become an extremely ubiquitous language. And one of the places it's made a relatively recent appearance within the last five years, uh, it might be three years, it might be four years, it's definitely within the last five years, is in the Mac OS. So Apple added JavaScript as a new alternative for scripting the Mac. But they, but they've removed it now. It's not built in in Catalina, or what is it? Catalina or the one after Catalina? I don't believe JavaScript was deprecated. Ruby and those ones are being deprecated, but I don't think JavaScript is. Wasn't it the wrong? Oh, maybe I'm thinking Python. You're thinking Python, Ruby, yeah. Perl, those kind of ones, which is where I but- would have used to go for my scripting. And they didn't get rid of it necessarily because it's these other ones, because they're old and busted as much as they weren't keeping them up to, to date anyway. So, right. like, so they're stop not... shipping with it. Yes, exactly. They're basically saying, if you want this, you go ahead and install it. We're not bringing them along for the ride. And given how bad Apple were keeping those languages up to date, that's no bad thing. But JavaScript, Apple have no choice but to keep up to date because, well... Safari has a very, a very one of Safari can be thought of as having three brains, right? It has an HTML renderer, it has a CSS processor, and it has a JavaScript engine. They have to keep the JavaScript engine for Safari anyway. Oh, so, okay. Yeah, so you know they're, they're going to have to keep one on the Mac anyway. So why not allow it to be used for scripting? Is so if I typed which JavaScript into the terminal, should it tell me that it's installed? No. 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 Okay. No. It's not that deep embedded. It's not embedded in that way. I'm wondering if it's in there as JXA. No, it's not in there as JXA either. No, so it is available, just like you can't type AppleScript. Now, there is a way to invoke AppleScript from the terminal because you can do OSA script. I wonder if there's an OSJ script. Uh, OSA script, OSA lang, OSA decompile, and OSA compile. 
There we go. Okay, so there's no OSA J script, but there is an OSA A. Anyway, the, the word could be going off. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> In the places where you can use AppleScript, there are now ways of using JavaScript. And oh. what they've what they've actually done is written a translation layer. So if you are someone who knows how to write AppleScript, switching to JavaScript for scripting on the Mac is really, really easy. If you're someone who only knows JavaScript, it's really bloody hard, and Apple haven't put up any good documentation, which has made me really quite cranky. So in theory, anything you can do with AppleScript, and I think also anything you can do using Swift, you can do using JavaScript now, because there's translation layers between... Apple's underlying, you know, kit, basically all of their underlying black kit stuff, actually translations. Um, and so any app that publishes a dictionary for AppleScript, you can interact with through JavaScript. But it's if you're if you're not an AppleScript person, it's really, really hard to figure out. But there's one place where someone who's only a JavaScript person can get going without having to learn Apple's weird ways of doing things. And that's inside Automator. Oh. Because Automator provides a an action, as they're called in Automator, called run JavaScript. Okay. And so you can just get stuck in. Now, in that run JavaScript window, you can use JavaScript to interact with any app on your Mac if you're prepared to learn how to do that translation between the AppleScript function names and the AppleScript <laughs> dictionaries and the JavaScript function names. And it's a, there's like a rule. And, and that those AppleScript rules actually exist. Because not every, not every uh, application is scriptable. Right. So basically, if you read the docs, what they tell you is to open up the AppleScript editor, open the AppleScript dictionary for the app you want to script, and then apply these rules to translate the function names from their AppleScript equivalent to their JavaScript equivalent. So it is it is a rule. Like, you know, if it's written like this in AppleScript, then it works like this in JavaScript, and it's just a rule you apply. Okay, you does need that make actually, it easier, or is that still really hard? I, I never got my brains far enough around AppleScript for the AppleScript docs to be usable to me as JavaScript docs, which is basically <laughs> okay. what you have to do, right? I can read I JavaScript docs. a little bit docs. better, because I did take a boot camp class, and I came away thinking I knew what I was doing, and as soon as I was on my own, I was like, what? Yeah. Anyway, so you can go way, way, way further in Automator than I went. Way further. But you can, with the JavaScript we know, already do useful things in Automator. And that's why I thought it was worth having a chat to you. Yeah, so, yeah. No, no, for uh, for the non-programming by stealth people, um, Automator in general has a lot of really cool little drag and drop pieces that you can just pull in and out and not do any scripting. So it is kind yes. of interesting to talk about Automator in general. Um, I, I found when I was just starting to try to use it for stuff that I very quickly learned into a play, I ended up somewhere where I needed to program. I needed to script and I didn't know how. And so I would get frustrated and stop. And that's why I made Dorothy write my scripts for me. But now I can do it too. Yeah. And depending on what it is you want to do with Apple's, with Automator, I mean, for years I got all of my automators just with Automator bricks and never had to write a line of code. Mm -hmm. And then for some reason, when you take a one slight step sideways in one direction, you all of a sudden run out of Automator runway. And at that point, the catch all answer is just scripted. Yeah. 
And when it was Apple like, script. Yeah, I mean that is basically automators get out of jail free card is you have a run you have a run shell script uh, block or action as they're called, I think officially, which allows you to run Ruby, Python, Perl, all of those things. You have a run shell script for your ZSHs, your bashes and all that kind of stuff. And now you have a I think there's a there's definitely a run Apple script. There yeah. might be a run Swift. I forgot to check that. And there's a run JavaScript. So all of those are at your disposal for papering over the gaps where the thing you want to do isn't covered by the very vast library of automator actions. And the great thing is, well-written Mac apps have the ability to provide, as well as providing AppleScript dictionaries, they can also provide automator actions. And it's one of the reasons I will always have... um, you know, stuff like uh, Pixelmator installed, even if I very rarely actually open Pixelmator, the app, Pixelmator provides loads of really great automator actions. Hmm. And so I can do all my fun image editing stuff through Automator because I have Pixelmator installed, even if I actually do most of my image editing in other apps. So... We want to play anyway. in in uh, Automator, and we're going to do some JavaScript, but we got to start with a problem to be solved, don't we? We do, because really, this wasn't really written as... This wasn't intended to be a podcast episode, but it just sort of conveniently worked out that way. So what I was actually doing was solving some actual problems in my real life, and I used to solve those problems with Automator running Perl. Okay. But that's becoming ever more cumbersome on the modern versions of the Mac, and they... I just upgraded to Catalina. I was missing all of my Perl modules, and I just thought, do I want to spend my time wrangling CPAN? Or maybe I should actually rewrite all of these scripts I've been carrying with me since probably, like, Panther. Maybe (laughs) maybe I should redo these in a modern way that will work on Catalina and is likely to stay with me for a while. So I rewrote them, and... As I was doing it on one Mac, I was like, God, it'd be, really e- it'd be great if these were sitting in Git so I could just check them out on my other Macs. And then I was like, well, if I put them in Git, why don't I just open source them? I mean, you know, they're going to be open <laughs> Git anyway. And then, okay, well, if I'm going to open source them, I'm going to have to write some documentation. Okay, fine, I'll start <laughs> writing some markdown. Yeah, I don't want to write all the boring detail of the how into the documentation. I just want to the documentation only should say what. And then I said, well, I suppose she's write a blog post explaining the how. And it's like, well, hang on a second. I now have an episode of something to talk to Alison about. And I wasn't really sure when to broach it. It's been sitting as draft for about a month. Oh, wow. And then due to the universe aligning in a certain way, we needed to move forward a day. I wouldn't have been ready with a regular show. And I was like, aha, but I have a month old draft. <laughs> so Very I- handy. Good to have that in the can. Nice. I do kind of like to have something sitting in draft that's ready or nearly ready. So anyway, the problem to be solved is that I'm very often on my Mac. Um, they fall into a couple of groups, but the most common one I run into is that I copy something in rich text and I don't want it in rich text. I want it in plain text. And so okay. what I want to be able to do is hit a key combination that takes whatever's in the clipboard and converts it from rich text to plain text. So that's the first one. That's what got me going down this road. And once I had that working, I soon realized that actually there's times when I need to force things to lowercase. So I should have one to convert whatever's in the clipboard to lowercase. 
It's like, well, actually, there's also times I need to go the other way, so I should write one to convert things to uppercase. And then because I'm such a pernickety fella when it comes to writing some things, I really like title case, but I like a very intelligent kind of title case where the small bridge words don't get their first letter uppercase, like at and on and all those kind of ones. And then someone wrote a really nice JavaScript library inspired by John Gruber, uh, who had a Perl one. And it's like, I really like that in my, um, you know, my my set of automator actions. And at that point, I'm like, oh, JavaScript. Oh, hang on a sec. Ooh, JavaScript. And so then I went and rewrote them all in JavaScript. And then I had all of those working. And then it's like, well, this is great. This all manipulates the clipboard. But what if I want to do this on a text selection? Why should I have to cut, run my keystroke, paste? Why not just have it select the text and then just be able to do it right click and call a service from there? I like that. And so then I got that working. And then I'm not quite done yet. Then I was like, oh, yeah, but I also need to know how many words I've written sometimes. So why don't I do, so I can do a word count on the selection. So I just hit Control A, right click, services, count words, count letters, count paragraphs, whatever. So then I ended up writing some text counting shortcuts as well. So in the end, what we have is a collection of quick actions, which are written in Automator, and they sort of fall into a bunch of broad categories. So some I, of them... I, I, I've been trying to j- jump in real quick because oh, I, I, I know about 38 people listening have been saying, but Bart, there's other ways to do these things. Like it turns out command options shift V actually pastes without formatting. I think in that one's apps. built into the, I think mm-hmm. it's built into Mac OS though. No, but some anyway. apps don't work that way on a bunch of other, uh, on some apps I use, it's that keystroke. On some apps, it's command <laughs> okay. shift V. On some apps, it's a different keystroke. It's not and, consistent. And, and you could get something like copy and paste that does a lot of these things. They've got that's built into it to make it plain text and, and to do upper and lowercase. You can do that kind of thing. But all of these things combined together into, into some tools that you can use and you can assign the way you want it. And especially this idea of being able to do it live without copying and pasting it. That's even cooler. Exactly. So that's sort of where I ended up where I did, you know, sort of like I can do a bespoke, you know, scratch your own itch kind of thing. I just wanted to say that because I figured a whole bunch of people were thinking it. Yeah, no, that's I, a good point. It's a very good point. Um, get it out of the And way. so basically you have two ways of interacting with these quick actions, as Mike, as Apple now call them. So the ones that exist on the clipboard are available to the services menu in any app. Or you can assign a keystroke to them, which is what I've done. And the ones that exist on text selections, you simply select the text and right-click your selection, and then the services will be available. And you can also get those actually through the services menu. Are people familiar with the services menu, I wonder, or should we very briefly I, mention it? I its think existence? we should talk about it a little bit, mostly because I want to tell you how much I hate the services menu. <laughs> Just Fair because- enough. There, I, I have things that I have written that are part of services and they show up. And I've written other things and they're just freaking not there. And I don't know where these things get stored. They seem to be stored in 12 different places, tell uh, the, you know, tell the in, library in libraries. And oh, sure. Oh, sure, Bart. I can show you more than one place where I have services and they're, they both are official places, but they're not the same place and the things don't show up the same. So, uh, yeah, <laughs> I, I, I got that out of the way. Okay, because if you're doing it all through Automator, you actually have a lot of control over when they do and don't show up, and it's quite straightforward with little drop-downs. Yeah, no. 
<laughs> but okay. Okay. <laughs> I have never you. had them not behave exactly as I configured them. Okay. I have many different places. And I don't know why. Okay, but I also so anyway, never manually put them anywhere because Automator puts them in the right place automatically I, if you do multiple I, I swear to you, I don't either. I have I have three right now in my services, and I know well. It's possible this has gotten cleaned up since I've changed Mac since I never migrate anything. That is entirely possible because I, I yeah. say I, I, there are many things on the Mac that go weird. <laughs> Touch every piece of wood around me here, but this is not one that has done it yet for me. <laughs> okay. So the canonical place to find services is in any app. Its main menu is named the same as the app. And just like it always has an about button and a preferences button, it also always has a services button. Mm -hmm. And the services you see are contextual. So some services are configured to always be visible and they're always going to show up. And some services will only show up if you have highlighted some text in the app. Or some services will only show up if you have highlighted a file in the app. Or some services will only show up if you've highlighted an image in the app. So services are basically tagged to specific apps or all apps and specific pieces of information or no piece of information. So they're contextual. And they're in that Hmm. services menu always if they're available. But a lot of the time, the place I usually access services is in the right-click menu. So if you're in the Finder and you right-click on a file, then every service that matches that file type, be it an image or a PDF or whatever, is going to be in a services menu on your right-click. And if you highlight text in any app, if you right-click on the highlighted text, you also get a services menu which has all of the text-related services. And so I'm usually a right-clicker. Okay. Or you go and you click on your Apple, you go to System Preferences, and you go to Keyboard, and then you go to um, Shortcuts. the Shortcuts tab. You will find that Services is one of the things in the sidebar, and every service on your Mac is now listed, and you can tick them on and off, which is convenient. You may want some of them gone. And then they have a keystroke is a, is the most right column. And so if it says none, you just click on it and then you record your keystroke. And hey, presto, that is now the keystroke for that service. So here's a perfect example where it becomes mysterious to me. To me. Um, I have not fooled in this menu since I installed Catalina from scratch and all my apps from mm-hmm. scratch on this Mac. Um, if I scroll down a ways, it says searching. And one of the options is search with Google, command shift L. When? Yeah. <laughs> You know, where are those things? Okay, so you remember I said that every app can bring along their own automator actions? Every app can bring along their own services as well. Yeah. So simply having the app installed makes the service available. So it's mysterious where this searching thing is. Look up in dictionary or look up or search with Google or Spotlight. Apparently that's a thing. Yes, so those services, if you haven't written them, then then they have been provided by the OS or by an app. Yeah. Do you see one called searching? A section called searching? Oh, sorry. I just closed my doodad. Let me reopen oh. my doodad here. No, no, just curious because these don't, the, this one doesn't look like something uh, uh, that was done by an app. That one looks, this one looks like. Uh, where would I find generic. it? Q or so it's not, searching. It's, it's a whole section. Look up in yeah. Dash. Oh, that came from an app because I have Dash. And so I'd look up okay, in dictionary. Look dictionary that comes from and dictionary, search yeah. with Google. 
search with Google is indeed there. I wonder if that's because Google is the default search engine set on Siri. Maybe, but I wonder how you would invoke that command shift L. It's there. It acts in some... No, it only bonks. Uh, Select some text and then try. Try that. Command shift L. This is live and direct. Nope, command shift L and Safari didn't do it. Ah, there I I did grab a whole bunch of text in another app and it did search it. Okay. Yeah. I was and I was hitting the wrong keystroke. So if you don't actually read what it says, <laughs> that definitely, definitely doesn't work. I love making Bert do stuff that he's fully prepared for. He's got screenshots and text, and I'm asking him about something completely else. Okay, I'll I'll stop playing and let you get on with the plot here. No, it's fine because as I say, this wasn't really written to be a podcast episode, so we're kind of talking around it. Okay. So I guess that gives you an idea of the problems I'm trying to solve and how I end up having them exist. So on my Mac, I I actually use option command L for lowercase, option command U for uppercase, option command P for plain text. Mm -hmm. Um, And then, you know, we have the word counting ones. So if you're curious and you want to play along, so, okay, so all of these services are available on GitHub and you can download them and because each one is a separate file you can install none of them one of them two of them all of them up to you and they're all there and the GitHub page tells you what they do and it describes what they do and how you use them once they're installed with some screenshots um I'm thinking that's probably pretty self-explanatory and not something we should spend a particularly large amount of time on is that yeah, yeah. Um, we are going to talk about how you made these, though, right? That's exactly. That's what I would think we should focus okay, on instead, good. is what I'm saying. Yeah. So okay. the GitHub page has the what. The blog post has the how. Okay. So if you want to play along, what you need is Automator. So you fire up Automator, um, which you will find, I don't know, I find it in Spotlight, so I find everything in Spotlight, but I'm guessing it's... <laughs> Probably either in applications or applications utilities, one of those two. That would be my guess. And then you go new document, and then it will give you a choice of all the different things that Automator can do. And what we're doing used to be called services everywhere, but in newer versions of the Mac, Apple have started to call them quick actions, except in the odds or in, in the system preferences where it still calls them services, and except in the menu where it still calls them services. <laughs> Okay, so they quick quite actions got... are services. Quick actions are services. So you click quick action, you go choose, and then you get an empty workflow with a section at the top that isn't there if you just make a workflow. And that section at the top controls the input and output of the service. So it says workflow receives current. And then you can have text, rich text, URLs, addresses, phone numbers, dates, email addresses, files or folders, folders, documents, image files, PDF files, movie files, audio files, web content, or no input. And you might say, why would you use no input? Well, there are automator actions for reading from the clipboard. So you would take no input, but then go and read from the clipboard in the first action. So, you know, no input is actually one I use quite a bit. And then it says in... And then you have the choice of, you know, some default apps that things you might want, any application, which is what I usually use, or other, where you get to go pick an app. And then depending on what you've picked on the top row, so if you pick text, you know, input is, you might have, um, you know, entire selection, output replaces selected text is, is what I have for the conversion ones, because I want my uppercase text to replace the original text. 
So that's a checkbox. You can give it an icon and you can give that icon a color. Those last two aren't all that useful. But Wait, how did you is. get to the output part? So I if you have output. workflow receive text in any mm -hmm. application, yeah. then it says there's a checkbox oh, under any check application. Box. Okay, output replace the selected text. Okay. You wouldn't want that on your word count one, but you would want it on the upper lowercase conversions. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. So you choose when you do okay. and when you don't tick it. Okay. And at this stage, you now basically have your standard workflow that you can start dragging or your standard. Yeah, it's a standard workflow. So you can now start dragging and dropping. So if the left sidebar isn't showing, the icon in the very top left of the toolbar toggles showing your library um, as a left sidebar. And that shows every single automator action. And I generally find the search box is extremely useful. And so yes. I tend to always do my searching. So, so and, and that's searching the actions, uh, not variables at this point. You've got actions selected in the left. And then if you keep it on the top library part, then it's uh, the list is giant. So search really helps. Exactly. So you can either narrow it down by having the subcategories under library, or I tend to leave mine at library. Yeah, because if you go into the sub-libraries, you go, okay, I think this is going to be about text, so I'm going to choose fonts. Well, that's not it. Oh, shoot. Well, maybe it needs to be internet. You know, and you spend all your time fussing with it. If you just search for some words that might be in it, you're better off. Yeah, like utilities versus text versus systems. Yeah. So you still get a bit, you know. Yeah, so I just keep it on library and search. Okay. Um, and that just shows you everything from all of your apps, which is great. Um, and they usually have the icon for the app, so I'm seeing lots of lovely Pixelmator ones as I scroll through here. Apple Photos provide some nice ones, actually, too. But anyway, lots and lots of cool stuff here. Uh, but for our case today, um, you know, depending on which ones we're doing, we're going to use different ones. So the first thing I'm going to talk about is displaying messages. So if you're going to count words, you need to tell the user what you've counted. And in older versions of the Mac OS, there were actually no automator actions for giving output to users. It really was about replacing text or altering files and stuff. It wasn't about telling people things. And there was all sorts of Apple script hackery people used to do to get it to do a pop-up and stuff like that. But thankfully, we can now have a standard system notification with an action called display notification, which is perfect. So if you drag and drop that one in, then it can, you know, you'll see that you have sort of all the standard, you can give it a title, a subtitle, and a message. Okay. And that will give you a macOS style notification. And you can control how it behaves using the standard preferences for notifications from any app. So, you know, you, you have control. Um, so that's easy. How do we output stuff? So when it comes to reading and writing so text... So this then, display notification will be part of the output? That's the that's the block we're going to use to do our output, yeah. Okay. Because in your screenshot, it's got a variable in it, and we're not there yet, right? We're not there yet. So okay. on, on okay. most of my ones, so on the ones that affect the clipboard, I still have a display notification, but it's just to tell you what it's done, right? You hit the keystroke. Okay. Did it do that? So I just have it popping mm -hmm. up saying, you know, converted clipboard to lowercase or whatever. Okay. So those ones are easy. They don't need variables. Uh, so... Speaking of the clipboard, the next thing that we really, really want is get from and to clipboard. And thankfully, both of those directions are provided. There is a copy to clipboard and a get contents of clipboard. 
and those that's pretty much exactly what you would want, right? So they allow you to go to the clipboard and from the clipboard. And so you can probably imagine that the structure of all of my clipboard modifying scripts are, you know, workflow receives no input in any application, get contents of clipboard followed by run JavaScript, followed by copy to clipboard, followed by display notification. And so the screenshot there shows the notification as clipboard to lowercase, contents of clipboard converted to lowercase as a title and a message. So this would not be one that, that works in situ. This is one that d is putting it to the clipboard. Correct. So this, okay. is the, this is the structure of all of the clipboard altering ones. Get contents, okay. do some JavaScript, put the contents back, display a notification. I like the way you took your screenshot because what he did was he's got everything unfolded except run JavaScript. So it's not scary. Right. Precisely, precisely. Because <laughs> yeah, this shows you the structure, right? It lets me get it all into one screenshot as well. Um, so a really nice thing. Okay, so the one I'm using most of the time for processing text is Run JavaScript. And Run JavaScript has a wonderful free bonus. And you can see this bonus if you enable the log. Um, so you can enable the log by either to the menus, so going to view log, or if you're good, there's little icons sort of in the status bar at the bottom, and the left icon that aligns with the left-hand side of the right-hand column, <laughs> really hard to describe, is the one for if you showing hover the log. Yeah, if you hover over it, just hover over all the icons in the bottom row. One of them says show or hide the workflow log. If you enable that log and then run a run JavaScript action, you will see it converts rich text to plain text before passing it to JavaScript. So oh. the run JavaScript action actually converts to plain text for okay. free. Oh, so really? The, yeah, that's just a feature of how run JavaScript works. It, it, whatever, the, whatever's in, whatever it's getting passed to, it gets converted to plain text and then passed into the action because, of course, JavaScript has no idea what to do with rich text or an image. So if you have an image, you end up, I think, with the file path of the image and stuff like that. So it does its best to be clever. Well, but the JavaScript... Cheating. So your JavaScript doesn't... You don't even have to stick anything in there. Uh, you have a very, very small token amount of JavaScript that says, give back what I got in. Okay. Return input? Kind of. I mean, there's slightly more to it, but it really is just boilerplate for take what I got in and shove it back out. Okay. So string processing. Um, so the other thing I do is uh, string processing with shell script action. And the reason I end up using a shell script is because shell script lets me use the word count command. And JavaScript is not very good at counting lines and words, but it's great hmm. at other stuff. So I did end up using the run shell script action for counting how many words there are and counting how many lines there are. And the reason for that is that there's a wonderful terminal command called WC, which is not water closet. <laughs> it's word count. Huh. And WC is perfectly happy to accept its input via standard in. And you can prove this to yourself because you can pipe text to WC. So you can say cat slash etc slash hosts pipe wc minus l and it will tell you how many lines are in your hosts file hmm. and so if, if you can pipe to it that means standard in works so when you add a run shell script block you have to choose 
how is this shell script I'm about to write going to run? So you have two drop-down menus at the top of run shell script. The first one is what shell? Uh, so I would suggest if you want to be future-proof, your friend now is ZSH because Apple have switched to ZSH from Catalina onwards. No uh, more ZSH, n- well, it's still in Catalina, but it's not the default and it has been right. marked for deprecation. So it won't be in future versions. And the good news is ZSH has been in previous versions of Macs for years and years now. So even if you have an old Mac, you can still use ZSH now and then your stuff is future-proofed. And then the second drop-down is how is the input going to be made available to the shell script? And your options are standard in or as arguments and doing them as arguments is messy. Doing it as standard in is supremely wonderful for commands that can understand standard in. In other words, anything you can pipe to. So the entire action for counting how many lines are in something is literally WC space minus L. That is the total sum of the (laughs) content of the run shell script. Wow. And WC minus uh, W for the word count one. So as long as you've set the two dropdowns to be ZSH and STD in, that's it. So that completely takes care of the word count and the line count. So they were easy. Everything else is JavaScript-based. So then the question becomes, okay, so how do I process strings with JavaScript using Automator? Now, uh, the reason, by the way, if you're wondering, why don't I use WC minus C for, for character count? The answer is WC is old. So WC counts things in ASCII. So if you have an accented character, like, you know, an A with one of those funny stripes or a funny hat, that counts as two characters. Ah. Which is horse poop, in my opinion. JavaScript is much better about these things. And needless to say, WC counts emoji as two as well. Ugh. Yeah, so I don't want that. I want my emoji to count as one, and I want my accented characters to count as one. And okay. JavaScript has the ability to provide us with that. Okay. So that's a really good reason to switch to JavaScript. Can I ask you a dumb question? No. no oh, sorry. Your... There's no such thing as a dumb question. Yes, ask away. No. No dumb questions for you. Um, why do you count characters? Um, there are times when you need to know how many characters long something is because it needs to fit in something. Like a tweet, huh. say. So if I'm writing a tweet somewhere that I want to... Okay, for various reasons, I need to compose information that goes out to multiple social media, and so I need to quickly check that it it meets the minimum requirement for every social media. This is not with my personal hat on. Or maximum. Well, basically that it... That every limit, every different limit imposed by every different social media is met. Okay. So it is the, the union of all limitations. Right. Okay. And one of those limitations is Twitter's length. Yeah. And so it's really handy for me to be able to just go command A and then my keystroke for counting the words and then just to see, oh, or sorry, the characters. Oh, sugar, I'm, you know, I need to lose 10. Mm, what punctuation is optional these days? Mm, you can go away. Yeah. And you don't want your emoji counting as two there? I don't want my emoji counting as two because with the exception of flags, which I'm wondering how JavaScript reads. But anyway, on the whole, I have found <laughs> okay. it to, to work best if I just have it. I really, really, really don't want Irish names with accents being counted double and stuff like that. 
So I wanted okay. it properly counted. So if we use a run JavaScript automator action, it's a little bit different to the run shell script one. So we have different uh, drop downs to worry about. Hmm. Um, so if we drop that in, we actually have no drop downs. So we don't have to choose the language because, well, it's run JavaScript. So that's not one you choose. And we don't get to choose how it takes its input. The default action when you drop it in is basically self-documenting boilerplate. It actually has a comment, your script goes here. <laughs> so the way it works is you can write as many variables as you want and you can write as many functions as you want. But the function that's going to trigger everything it has to be named run. And that hmm. function will be passed two arguments. The first one will be the input to the action, and the second one is a bunch of configuration information as a dictionary, basically telling you things like whether or not uh, the ignore this action's input checkbox is checked and those kind of little things. I have found zero use for the second argument. Oh, okay, good. But it exists. Okay. The input is the important one. So the input is an array of strings. It might be one string. It could be more strings because automator workflows can have multiple outputs and inputs. So if multiple, if the action before run JavaScript has emitted multiple outputs, then run JavaScript will receive multiple inputs, each of them converted to plain text. So they will be in an array, which will be the first argument. And the boilerplate code names that first argument input. So git contents of clipboard creates an array. Yes, the contents of the clipboard will be returned as one piece of text, which will be received into run JavaScript as an array containing one piece of text. Okay. All right. And that's called and input. So yeah, so we it is named input in that boilerplate, and I don't see any reason not to not to use that boilerplate. That's very sensible boilerplate function run open parens input comma parameters close parens, and the return value from the run function is the output of the automator action. So if we want to convert plain text to rich text, that boilerplate does it because it says return input now. It's actually clever enough that if you give it back an array, it will treat it in a sensible way. So if you give it back an array of one string, it will actually treat it as one string coming out. So that actually will work that boilerplate. Now, I end up doing something subtly different um, because I want to deal better with the situation where there was no input received at all. So that array could be an empty array. If... If Automator fails to convert whatever it is to plain text, input is an empty array. And so what I actually do is I say input.join with an empty string. And input.join makes a string by joining together all, everything in the array, which means you end up with an empty string instead of an empty array as your output. And that's actually nicer to pass out. Wait a minute. You lost me there. Why are we outputting an empty string? Because if I ask, if I want the clipboard converted to plain text and there's something else in there, I want it to come out as an empty string. Or if I ask to convert something oh, to uppercase... Because we don't want that text. You don't want the text afterwards? No, I do. I'm saying if, the, if Automator fails to convert to plain text... Oh, sorry. Gotcha. I want my action to automate an empty string, not okay. 
nothing. Okay. Because otherwise the next action receives nothing instead of an empty string. Okay. And there is, you know, nothing and an empty string are not the same thing. So okay. I have decided to join them that way. And the other advantage of doing that is that if the input receives multiple inputs, it also works because it just sticks them together, converts the lot. So that's still actually a good thing to do. So input.join okay. allows us to always have a sensible output, right? If the thing received five inputs, well, fine, we'll stick them together, lowercase them and give them back to you. Hmm. So Even to me, I it just seemed that. like a sane thing to do. You don't have to do it that way. I just I thought about it and decided that was the least weird thing to do. But basically, we have a JavaScript function. We've named our argument. We can run any JavaScript we want in here now. So JavaScript has a lovely function called to lowercase on the string class. So return input.join.to lowercase. Hey, presto, problem solved. Lowercase string. Input.join.to uppercase. Hey, presto, uppercase taken care of. There is an open source JavaScript function you can download from GitHub, which converts the title case. So you copy and paste the function above your run function, and then you just call it inside your run function, and that takes care of two title case. So really, I had very, very, very little work to do. Yeah. Now, this then brings us to variables, because as you've rightly pointed out, if I'm using display notification to tell you how many characters I counted, well, I got to somehow store the amount of characters I counted. Right? Right. So this is where we meet briefly the potentially confusing concept of automator variables. So you can make a variable in automator and they will be shown... They, they basically, once you use a variable, it comes into existence and you can show them by the button next to the log button at the bottom will show you all of the variables in your current workflow at the bottom of the main pane. Oh, and right. you can drag and drop those into any text box. Oh, that's cool. So that's basically how you do it. So you say sh show output and you drag and drop your variable into the place where you want it in the output and hey presto, now have the nice notification. But of course you have to write to the variable and that's actually done through an automator action called, uh, let me just double check. We have two of them, unsurprisingly, get a value of variable and set value of variable. So you just drop those into your workflow and you basically say, okay, so the output of WC minus L's run shell script is going to be a number. Shove that into a variable named count. And then you add an action saying display notification, and you drag and drop the variable where you want it in the text, and hey presto, your count is now included. Oh, that's pretty slick. Pretty easy. I, I knew there was that list of variables at the bottom. I didn't realize you could drag them out of there. You drag them out of there, and you drop them wherever you want in any text box. That's the magic of them. Oh, yeah, yeah. Because I've used the get value variable and set value variable before, but never had it display that and just dragged it in. That's pretty cool. Yeah. And to be honest, that actually covers everything needed for these automator actions. So what I don't see in any of this that you've taught us so far is how to um, change text in situ. I love saying that. Oh. John says it all the time. So how do well, you... That's how just... do you 
Okay, that's at the very, very top. The very, very first thing we talked about. Workflow receive text in any application. Output replace the selected text. So, huh. Literally, once you set those options, workflow receive text in any application, and then tick the output replace the selected text, that's it. You're done. That takes care of the... That means that anywhere you write, you select text, that action becomes available. And the input at the top of that workflow is the text. And whatever falls out of the bottom of that workflow is what gets replaced. So really all you need there is the run JavaScript and optionally, if you want, the display notification. Hmm. Hang on. I'm checking because, of course, I built one of these while you were describing it. Perfect. Uh, it's not. Oh, holy cow. Not only is it not replacing it, it added it. Uh, oh, it added it four times. That's I have no it idea what you it. did. I have no idea how you did it. <laughs> OK, so uh, I just said at the top, uh, Workflow receives current text in any application. And I checked the uh, box. It said current text or I just use text. Current is the only choice. It's it, that's hard coded words. Workflow receives current. And the oh, sorry. Okay, text. sorry. And then you change it to text. Okay, right. Sorry. In any application, mm-hmm. and output replaces selected text is checked. And okay. I made it color blue, and I made the icon compose just like you did. I okay. had oh, I have get contents a clipboard at the beginning. We don't. Oh, well, that's gone that. and replaced the content of your selected text. Well, but that's what we want to do. No, no, no. As in your selected text has vanished in the into the ether and is now gone from your workflow. Okay, I happen to use the right thing. So I don't need to so I don't need to copy it to clipboard either. No. So basically mm-hmm. my workflows either receive no input and use the clipboard, or they receive text in any application. Okay. That worked wow. So it, we just said a lot of words. But it's run JavaScript, and it says function run input parameters, just like it said, the, the built-in boilerplate. Mm-hmm. It says return input dot join quote to lowercase. That's it. <laughs> and a notification if you want. My notification didn't do anything, but the, oh, that's because I didn't use any variables, so there's nothing to, to, for it to say. Well, you could type in some text, clipboard converted to lowercase. I will write poop because it's faster. Let's see. You could do that. <laughs> now, you often disable notifications while recording podcasts. So... I do, don't I? So let's turn that off. Let's do that again. Yep, because that's because I was going to say it didn't work, Bart. Yeah, well, the Mac did exactly what it was supposed to and swallowed your yep. notification. Lowercase complete, poop. <laughs> did you use an emoji? No, I, I use poop when I don't have time to type boogers. Ah, I'm surprised you don't have a text expander sn- snippet. It's like P <laughs> semicolon that does the poop emoji or something. I really should. You know, I'm not a big emoji person. I really, I really I'm am not. I'm becoming one. I'm becoming yeah, one. I'm trying to do better. I'm, I'm kind of a sticker girl. I'm, I like the stickers. Yeah, I don't do those. With the exception of Memoji, I finally have my Memoji looking vaguely like me. It's a younger me because I can't quite get enough gray hair into the Memoji beard. <laughs> Because it doesn't without it, great I think they have pure. They have well, they have beer, but they're yeah. White there's no beards. salt and pepper, and yeah. at the moment, I still have a little bit more pepper than salt. <laughs> Not evenly, of course. It's for some reason I've aged more on my left hand side than my right hand side. <laughs> Don't know why. Well, that's awesome. I'm half stressed, obviously. 
<laughs> just just from the, from the left side. Just from the yeah. Actually, sorry, the right side. But yeah. Anyway, I don't. I we never will understand why the body does these bizarre and strange things. Really? Well, we've certainly got off the rails at the end here, but uh, this is cool. This is this is pretty nifty. So you have included a link to your GitHub repository where you can download mm-hmm. separately or uh, well, all of them. You've got clipboard to plain text, title case, uppercase, lowercase, count characters, lines, words, selection to title case, selection to uppercase, selection, lowercase, and trim clipboard. What's trim? Oh, clipboard? I forgot about trim. Trim is great. So trim is a JavaScript command that takes white space off the front and back of a string. And so we have some apps in work that are really picky and don't do good input sanitation. An example is one we use for managing our DHCP server. And if you paste in a MAC address and the person who sent you the MAC address or when you selected it, you left a space in, mm. the app doesn't fix it for you. It just goes and pushes an invalid config out to DHCP and breaks your whole DHCP server. <laughs> so the ability for me to use a keystroke to just trim white space off the end of the clipboard and removes a whole bunch of in, literally, literally invisible errors. Because a DNS name that ends in a space, well, the app will accept it. But when you try to use it in your browser, it's not going to work. So yeah. if I just trim my clipboard, and so basically I end up with these, I used to end up doing these stupid things where I'd put something in, and then I get a call back saying, "Yeah, well that printer still isn't picking up its IP address." Okay, fine, edit into every text box, hit the end and home, and then the arrow keys over and back to see if there's any hidden, very very subtle space, and very often <sighs> there is. And now that I have this clipboard action, that doesn't happen to me anymore. So do you just do it every time? I do it every time. And if someone else made the entry, I go, Command A, run my action, Command V. (laughs) Try it again, right? Yeah. It's like, well, I know it's trimmed. It's all good now. I think maybe everything should put some sort of color or or something where spaces are, because they're just nefarious little things there, aren't they? Yeah, or that dot in the middle height which is the original um, symbol for space anyway in old manuscripts. Right. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. That would be that would be really nice. I did a, um, since we're off the rails, I did a uh, survey of my employees where I wanted them to uh, review each other. I wanted to tell wow. them, uh, allow them to anonymously tell each other, how are you doing as a teammate kind of thing? And I developed the, the questions myself and I did all of the entries in Excel. I had them all submit them to me. And then, and I'm the only one who's allowed to see it because anybody who helps me is seeing what other people have said about each other. And obviously right. I, I don't want that. So I'm the only one able to look at this spreadsheet. And um, I was running an average on on the, these column numbers. And I had somebody who say got a four from one person and they got a two from the other person and the average was not three. <laughs> it's like, hmm. it's only two numbers. I can do that one in my head. Why is it saying that? And I, I described it to this young woman who worked for me. It was just brilliant. Uh, uh, and, and I told her what happened and she goes, oh yeah, somebody put a space in one of the, one of the cells. How do you know that? She says, well, the number you just told me, I mean, if you average three and five and the hexadecimal equivalent of space it would get you this number. <laughs> like, oh man. That is someone who ran into that problem a lot. Yeah. Yeah. It was, uh, but I just love that she was able to figure it out. I mean, instantly when I told it to her and she had never seen anything I was working on and was able to tell me the answer. And I will, I will always remember being in awe of her brilliance that she knew that. That is, that is wonderful. That That is the kind of nerd experience only real life brings. 
Yeah, exactly. Actually, it's Excel that taught me to always trim everything because we discovered for years in work, we've had a problem where we need to find a common language that's spoken by programmers and by departmental admins, or as they would have been called in the past, PAs or secretaries, but they're both Mm -hmm. derogatory terms these days, so we call them departmental admins. They speak Excel fluently. Mm-hmm. So if you give them an Excel template to fill in, they will fill that in for you perfectly. Well, not perfectly, but they will fill that in for you. And then you as a programmer can use various APIs that are available. I, there's a really nice one in JavaScript these days I use for reading Excel files in JavaScript. And you just pull out the data from the rows and then you can do your programmy goodness, which in my case is calling a whole bunch of web services APIs using Ajax. Mm-hmm. Um, and the common language is Excel. And the absolute kicker I discovered is you must trim every cell. (laughs) Because the data has probably been copied and pasted from a Word document. Oh, so there's all kinds of gremlins in there, huh? All kinds of little subtle hidden spaces all over the place. And the other thing is never split on a comma. Always split on the regular expression comma slash s star. Comma followed by an arbitrary number, zero or more, of space characters. They might be tabs. <laughs> they could be anything. And if you split on that, you'll be good. Oh, wow. I never thought about that. That's, that's awesome. Regular expressions so, are great. Regular expressions rock. JavaScript rocks. Excel rocks. We just love tech. <laughs> that's where I've come to. Well, there can't be a better ending for this episode. This, uh, like I said, this didn't fit either place, but I enjoyed the heck out of it. Yeah, and if nothing else, you can just download, you don't have to do any programming. You can just go to the GitHub and download the actions if you like them. (laughs) You probably should have told people at the beginning, if they didn't want to learn, they could just do that. Yeah, I mean, they're just open source. They're just there. You download them, they come in as a zip file, you double click them. The Mac will say, would you like to install? You say, yes, hey, presto, you're done. There you go. There you go. Okay, anyway, I like you've been trying to wrap up, so I should really play ball with you and say, until next time, whenever that is, happy computing. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Chit Chat Across the Pond. Did you notice there weren't any ads in the show? That's because this show is not ad-supported. It's supported by you. If you learned something, or maybe you were just entertained, consider contributing to the Podfeet podcast. You can do that by going over to podfeet.com and look for the big red button that says support the show. When you click that button, you're going to find different ways to contribute. If you like to do a one-time donation, you can click the PayPal button. If you want to make a recurring contribution, click the weekly Patreon button. Or another way to contribute is to record a listener contribution. It's a great way to help the NoSilla Castaways learn from you. If you want to contact me for any reason, you can email me at allison at podfeet.com and you can follow me on Twitter at podfeet. Maybe you want to talk to other NoSilla Castaways. There's two great places to do that. You can do that in our Slack group at podfeet.com slash Slack, or you can join our Facebook group at podfeet.com slash Facebook. Thanks for listening and stay subscribed.